Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. BPI presents Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International. Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern on ACB Media One or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Pride Connection. My name is Bryn Lee, and I am so excited to bring to you a program with permission from the Multicultural Affairs Committee. This program featured one of our very own, Tristan Snyder, who is our secretary on the Blind Pride International Board. On this conversation, panelists joined a panel as they explored the impact and consequences of removing different stories and experiences from our classes and libraries. Rewriting history and its impact on blind or visually impaired and other marginalized communities. Now, welcome to everybody in Schomburg and on Zoom. I am Regina Marie Brink. And I am here on Zoom from California, and we have Lisa Sled in the room. Hello, everyone. He is my co-facilitator, and I want to make sure to thank our streamer today, our hosts, and all the people that are helping us that you don't see, but making this hybrid possible. And now, Lisa, go ahead. All right. Our Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are going to be talking about, as Cheryl said, did Helen Keller exist? They want to cancel so much of culture and things that we've learned in the past, and we want to know why. So we have a panelist of three phenomenal people. We have Jennifer Arnott, we have Pam Shaw, and we have Tristan Snyder. All right, guys. Um, we want to know what are your thoughts on all of this Cancel culture of how they feel about Helen Keller and all of these uh, library books that they're trying to cancel. So we want to know your views on those opinions. So first, we'll take Jennifer. Hello, this is Jennifer. Um, I'm so delighted to be here. Um, I am uh, the research librarian at the Hayes Research Library at Perkins School for the Blind. I am sighted, and I have a lot of experience as a librarian trying to help people make sense of information. And one of the unfortunate patterns that's become a lot more obvious in the past few years is that social media sites that are built on an algorithm tend to favor things that cause controversy or engage people or enrage people um, without caring much about the quality of that information. Uh, many of these tools are also short form and so they don't give you a way to share additional resources or links without jumping through a lot of hoops. 
Twitter gives you 280 characters. Instagram doesn't allow clickable links in the post. TikTok gives you a minute or two of video and so on. That doesn't allow for nuanced conversation to say the least. Um, we also know that a lot of people, especially children and young adults, are getting more of the information content from these algorithm-driven sites, and they don't always realize what they're missing. So this is where I come in. Uh, the Hayes Research Library is a research library that is focused on material around blindness and deafblindness education. Uh, we have a small fiction collection, but uh, mostly depictions of people who are blind or deafblind. But most of our collection is nonfiction aimed at people working in the field as TBIs or O&M instructors or um, all sorts of other related things. How do you teach Braille? How do you teach um, orientation mobility? How do you teach accessible technology? Things like that. Um, our collection does go back to uh, the early 1800s. Um, and so one part of what we do is we have a historical collection of how did people talk about these topics in the 1880s, in the 1920s, in the 1970s. We also answer a whole lot of questions about Helen Keller. She drives a lot of traffic to the Perkins site. Um, and we pop up a lot as people who might have answers to this question. Um, in some ways, it's much easier when people actually come and ask us questions. Um, I work closely with the Perkins archivists. And that is exactly what they pay me for, to answer questions and help people find and evaluate this information. Um, so over the past few years, we have had some questions about Helen Keller that started with the assumption that she was a fraud because of what those people had seen on social media sites. In all those cases, we were able to and glad to provide additional information, share resources, and most importantly, answer the specific questions people had about how people who are blind and deafblind learn and live their lives and communicate. Um, another category of question I wanna mention that we get a couple of times a month is someone whose family member is becoming blind or deafblind often due to age-related conditions. They're scared, they don't know what resources are out there and we can help direct them to resources in their state or even internationally that can help. I mention that because it, it shows there's a real information gap in some areas that I know ACB and many other organizations are trying to figure out. But back to Helen Keller. A year or two ago, I got a question from someone and I figured out fairly quickly that this person was early in high school based on, on some stuff in their email address and how they asked the question. I was talking to some friends, including some friends who are high school teachers about it. And they were so grateful for my being willing to take the time to meet this kid where they were. They've seen a lot of changes in their students over the past five or so years and how important it can be to have an adult who isn't immediately a parent or a family member or a teacher take those questions seriously, even if they're insulting or have problems. And as a research librarian who is cited, I also think that's part of my job in this community to help with those really sometimes ignorant and hurtful questions so other people don't have to deal with them. I, it's frustrating and tiring to do that all the time. I know that from the places where my own lived experience is the thing that's being questioned or dismissed. And it is a lot easier when it's not the thing that is my thing to deal with sometimes. So how do we approach that? Uh, in the research library and archives at Perkins, we're all trained to help with this kind of information preservation and access. Archivists take the responsibility of providing that access to historical information very seriously. 
For example, we have 14 collections containing thousands of items documenting Helen's life and story. One of them is her first known writing sample uh, when she was seven years old, just three months after Anne Sullivan arrived in Zambia. We have letters that she wrote in the next few years, um, up to about 1891, and as an adult, and we can see her progression, the way her language changes, and how she goes from actually not a bad letter for someone who's seven, even if she just started getting language working again, to really quite fluent writing at you know, 9, 10, 11. We can also talk about the tools that Anne Sullivan and Helen Keller used and what the equivalent tools are like today. Some of them have changed a lot. Some are really similar to what was in use in the 1880s. We think that being able to provide a complete picture and to show links to other collections, like the Helen Keller archives, now at the American Printing House for the Blind, that focus on her adult life, help make her clear that Helen is not a fake. But we're also aware that these accusations happened at the time during Helen's life. They're not new. And they happened at a number of points in Helen's life. So sometimes talking about specific stories or pieces helps get people um, a better idea of what's going on. If they ask us, and that's really the trick here. A lot of people don't ask us. We also know that discomfort with disability is often part of the picture. Many people aren't aware that Anne Sullivan was also visually impaired and blind at various points in her life. I'm gonna do my historical tip here. If you read a really overly sentimentalized story about Anne Sullivan that talks about brownies, pretty much every factual detail in that is wrong. Uh, brownies were not invented until Anne was an adult. That's the easy way to tell. If you want more, please feel to get, free to get in touch and I will send you more details. So one of the things that I will often mention when I can is putting a modern context into my answer. So talking about how kids who are blind and deafblind today are often in their local public schools with additional supports, what those look like, railers, refreshable braille displays, and swell paper and you know, various audio tools. We keep a list of good recent uh, young adult books with depictions of various disabilities. I can share that if it makes sense. And again, that only works if people ask us questions and a lot of the time they don't. So we also have resources on our website and we hope they pop up when someone does a search. Um, but that also assumes that someone actually searches for more information. Um, the other thing we can do that helps is making sure that information is widely shared. For example, the Massachusetts Standards for History Education in K-12 schools include requirements for talking about disability and disability rights movement um, background. There are national projects like National History Day where students pick a topic to research and produce a substantial body of work like a research paper, a presentation, or a skit that help highlight topics. Every year we get you know, five to 20 questions about topics that we can help with. The themes to National History Day are different every year, but they're often very inclusive of um, disability history. And we love those because we know that it's not just going to those kids, but to um, all of the other places they're sharing that information in their classes, in the, the competition level at the you know, regional level, the local level, maybe the state and national level. We also know that other states like Texas are removing this kind of content from the curriculums as happened in 2018. An emphasis on state testing often acts like a limitation like social media algorithms with only what is tested mattering. That often leaves out more complex discussions or nuanced pieces of history. 
it doesn't mean individual teachers can't include it usually, but it does get inc I mean, it gets incredibly limited time or focus. Um, I don't have any of the answers to these questions. I am, you know, I sort of end up at, I am one person, I will answer all the questions I can as much as I can and keep helping uh, resources be available. Um, but I, I, I go to bed a lot at night sort of wishing people would have better information evaluation skills, frankly. I'm gonna leave it here, but I'm very much looking forward to the other panelists and to the questions when we get to that. Thank you, Jennifer, thank you. Next, we're gonna open it up for Tristan to give his comments. I certainly haven't any great resources to offer like that, but that's fantastic. What, what I can say is that Imagination Storybooks focuses often on books that are about inclusion and diversity and disability and kindness. And, and I know that, that all of those things, when you introduce them at an early age, most of our books are targeted toward the, well, basically anything from pre-K through, um, yeah, I think the oldest age uh, bracket book we've done is for about sixth grade or so. And I think those are critical years and we, and we can, we can certainly reach out in those years to help kids to understand that they're not alone if they have a disability, you know, and that inclusion matters and that diversity matters and that silencing those voices is not acceptable. And, and that kindness matters because I think part of what we're seeing right now with this cancel nonsense and this, this behavior by, by certain politicians who appear to be trying to score points with their base, and you'll forgive me, but I'm, I'm a bit of a, a social activist. Um, I, I've, I feel like the best way to combat that is by countering their cruelty, by teaching children that kindness is always better. They like to accuse my people of being groomers. Well, I'd like to groom children to be kind. That's, that's what I want. As far as, as Helen Keller goes, I think, remember that, uh, unfortunately, and this is certainly not meant as um, any kind of slur against anyone's political persuasion, but unfortunately, a lot of these bills are coming from the right wing. And, and one of the things about Helen Keller that isn't talked about very much it, it, once you get past her overcoming her disability and you get into um, her adult life and what she worked for and what she advocated for, you find out that Helen Keller was a socialist. And she believed in community engagement and community involvement and compassion. And she worked really hard to promote those values and promote the idea that we're all in this together, whether we're disabled or not you know, whatever we are, we're all in it together. You know, we all have to share the space together. So I think that scares some people. I don't think it, they don't like to, to think that they're not the most important people in the room. And the best way to, again, to counter it, to counter that is to spread proper information. And I think that when we see false information on those social media sites that like to uh, algorithm us all, Probably the best way to counter it is just to boldly state the truth. We just have to be bold in how we speak, um, polite, but bold, and say, no, un unfortunately, um, you know, this article is, is wrong, and here's a, a link to a proper article, or here's a link to a proper book. Why don't you read it? You know, um, we just have to be unapologetic 
in promoting the truth about the people that we, you know, that we admire, especially people like Helen Keller and those of us who who care about the truth should be should be doing that. So as far as the cancel culture itself, I think it's going to have to be, unfortunately, on the parents of, of our children to get the books that they're being told not to read and, and help their children to understand that, that reading them is important and, and maybe read to them, uh, depending. Uh, I know that um, Imagination Storybooks, we partner with the Described and Captioned Media Program, dcmp.org. Um, and any child who is uh, blind or deaf or both or has a learning disability can get a membership in the United States. Unfortunately, it is limited to the United States, but as long as you're in K through 12, uh, they, will, they will get that child a free membership and they can um, take advantage of those books that we have up there. All of our over 140 odd titles, I think, are up there and, and we're adding more every day. So. Um, I think that's where I'm going to leave it. And uh, thank you so much for the time. Right. Thank you, Tristan. Thank you. And last but definitely not least, Miss Shaw. <laughs> Let's hear what you got to say, girl. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> you asked for it. Okay. <laughs> well, first of all, I do want to say that it's an honor to be with my ACB family because we've come through a lot together. Uh, we love each other and we work very hard, not just for people who are blind and those who have low vision, but we have been a community that when we saw need or mistreatment, we stepped right up. It didn't have to be about us. And my personal advocacy mantra is, if my brother's in trouble, so am I. So whether you're being insulted or something's happening because a guide dog, I don't use a guide dog. If there's a problem, I'm getting involved. The other thing I'd like to do is really um, say that I am honored to have been the first person of African-American descent voted on to the ACB Board of Directors. But what makes me thrilled and happy and honored and all filled up is I have not been the last. And so to see people coming um, of various backgrounds and host, holding positions in our organization, it is a joy. And I think it is evidenced by us being to, you know, together. Cheryl Cummings once came up to me as we were starting a call. She said, Pam, now listen, don't be shy. I think she had the wrong person uh, because I don't think that one of my challenges is being shy. But Cheryl is a great lady, and it's, it's a privilege to work with her. Okay, so let's get this party started. What in the world is going on? Each day we, we turn on whatever devices we're, we're using, and just when we think we've heard of everything, something else happens. I never thought that anybody would attack, because that's what it is, Helen Keller, why she's one of my heroes. And by the way, I only learned about two blind people when I was in school, I've been blind since birth, Helen Keller and Louis Braille. 
I didn't learn about other people. And if I heard about them, most likely, and I'm not insulting anybody, it was because they were some type of a celebrity, usually a musician. But what we're seeing in the world today, particularly when it comes to cancellation culture, nobody is safe. No thing is safe. Uh, I read the other day about how many schools in the South, they're trying to change the names um, because a lot of them were, you know, heroes of the Confederacy. I, I, I don't know. You know, where are we and why are we doing this? Well, one is because our culture, no matter how we call it, is very open right now. We hear and see things and have topics uh, on the radio and we don't even... We're not shy anymore. And I said, don't people have any modesty? They'll say anything and talk about anything. It's hard to find certain shows if you're the type of person that doesn't want to see them on television. So the the culture, the uh, last couple few days ago, we talked about the new normal. What we have now, what people are trying to do, I would call it the dawn of the new narrative. Because it isn't just about changing your social habits. We are seeing people right in front of us who are actually changing the story. One of the biggest ones has been critical race theory. And the reason people are upset about that, because it's embarrassing. Some of the things our country has done, but we won't be able to solve some of these things until we speak openly and honestly with each other. In ACB, sometimes we'll say something like, well, um, we want to have a, uh, a safe environment. I concur, but what we need is a brave new world where we can talk to each other, where we can live differently, but live respectfully. I don't have to agree with your worldview in order to respect you, to care about you, and insist that you have the same rights that I do. That's my view on it all. And one of the other things too, is that as, as we look around in this world, look at what's happening. Things are being removed, cancel culture. Things are being revised. And there is even replacement. So when I think about what our response needs to be, because I really think whether we're talking about Helen Keller or whomever we're talking about, because A, we are the ones who most likely will speak up. We can speak up in all kinds of ways in our personal lives, in our professional lives, and our advocacy lives. Because I will not be surprised. I'm just not there where I'm willing to say, oh, they never touch us. We're blind. Hmm. Okay, keep looking at it. There was a lot of issue, believe it or not, even when they were doing um, the story of Ray Charles, because Ray Charles had been an addict. And there were people saying you shouldn't honor an addict, but I don't believe that you take away. I'm not a throw, you know, the baby out with the bath order. I'm, I'm not like that. But I do think we have an obligation to speak up and speak loudly. The other things, and I think uh, my other two panelists, because you talked a lot about the resources. Let's take the resources that we have and put them together and work together because we can't do it by ourselves, okay? And then we're going to have to take the action. 
It may get you in some trouble because I'll be very direct with you. What good does it really do for us to sit here and have a talk? It feels good, and I like what I'm learning. But what are we going to have happen when they really come after us? Let me tell you a story of a meeting I was in just last week, county meeting, Board of Education. Someone stood up as they were talking about the budget, and she said, we are paying too much money to educate disabled children. He said, we're spending money in such a way that, you know, the children don't all go to the same school, but they can get individual transportation. And what she said, and people applauded, it shocked me. He said, maybe we should go back to the time when we, we educated our children in one place, and that would save us money. That's not good to hear, but at least she said it. And I'd rather know where somebody comes from than have them play games with me. So we've got some work to do. We've got some thinking to do. I think Helen Keller may be what I would just say number one, but we ought to be there before there's a number two. And again, it's an obligation for all of us. I don't think that just because Helen Keller was deafblind, this is a deafblind discussion. No, it is not. It's a discussion for everybody because they're coming after our children. And if that happens, we are a sinking ship. So let's get together. Let's use our resources. Let's have some discussion um, this afternoon, you know, honest discussion. And let's see what we can do and we should do. Helen Keller is an icon. She wasn't perfect or anything like that, but she's still an icon. And when I think about being blind and I'm trying to get courage to do something, people like her come to mind because I can only imagine how difficult it was for her. So thank you very much for letting me talk. I love you guys. I'll be here. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Why do you feel that society wants to diminish the accomplishments of the disabled? Who wants to go first? Okay, this is Pam. I'll go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, there's, if you recall, uh, back in the days of slavery, slave, slaves were not allowed to be taught to read or write. Okay, and there was a woman who wanted to teach people to write. She really did. And she said to her husband, what's wrong with teaching a slave to write? And he said, because if you teach a slave to read and write, they are no longer fit to be a slave. And so the reality becomes that if we can knock down accomplishments, if we can go back to a, a shame-filled mindset, then guess what happens? We don't have to do anything for the children coming up because what will be said is that they can't do it. They can't do it. It's not worth the money. But teach them to read and write, let them accomplish and do all they do, and they will not be fit to be a slave. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. Kristen, Jennifer? I'll say this. I think that people don't talk about the things that we need to talk about because it makes us uncomfortable. That's part of why they're canceling this stuff. It's part of why they, they're so against CRT. It's, it's part of, it makes certain people uncomfortable. Note that, that it actually doesn't make the children uncomfortable. It makes the adults uncomfortable. But there is something else that makes adults uncomfortable. 
and that is disability. We don't talk about that enough. We don't, we don't have a societal conversation about people with disabilities and our place in society. We don't actually have a conversation about straight up civil rights for people with disabilities. We don't do that. We had the ADA. We had, and that was great. And we had the 504 protests where they occupied the federal building in the 70s. But we don't have the kind of conversation that we should have around people with disabilities, what we can do, what we should do, what society is letting us do. And I, I, I mean, even those words are making me cringe internally. But it's that we, we it seems like there is a barrier that that is between able-bodied people and the disabled when it comes to having this particular conversation. And if they are able to diminish us, if they're able to diminish Helen Keller, if they're able to call her a fraud, if they're able to call uh, other disabled performers, even musicians like Ray Charles and, and others, a fraud, they are going to then dismiss any possibility of having that very uncomfortable conversation. And so it's on us to force the conversation if, if necessary. It's on us to do that. I also think it's important that in media, um, we push for proper media representation. We're starting to see a little more of that than we used to. It used to be only uh, the blind people were always the villain or the poor helpless thing you know, that was victimized you know, um, or, an, or infantilized. But, but we're starting to finally see a little more representation of not just blindness, but other, other people with disabilities. Disabilities, you look at CODA and, and other recent offerings, from, particularly from streaming services. And you see a little more inclusion and a little more conversation about this. But we need more of that. We need to push that more. That's, that's my opinion. Thank you. And Jennifer. Yeah, this is Jennifer. Um, I very much second what Pam and Kristen have both said. When I'm talking to people, I, I what I hear a lot is that people are terrified of disability. They don't want it to happen to them. They don't know how they'd cope if they had that thing. They want an easy answer to it. I had some significant chronic health issues about 12 or 13 years ago now. And one of my friends put it really brilliantly and said, like if you broke your leg, there would be a there would be an arc of breaking your leg and getting better from it. And people know how to manage that. Like you break your leg, you see the doctor, the doctor, you know, does things, you might have surgery, but there's this arc that's probably pretty well understood. When you have a chronic thing that's going to keep being chronic, people don't know how to deal with that. They they assume there's a fix, they assume there's an answer, and some stuff doesn't have a simple answer. I have a really good life now, but it was really rocky for a couple of years. I think about a conversation I had while I was a, a librarian with a bunch of teachers in a very good school where we were doing an in-service day at the end of the year and talking about mental health issues likely to show up in our student population. And I kept commenting because I had friends who had various mental health needs and like, just being familiar with the conversation and the teachers I was with who were great teachers in many ways, started looking at me very oddly. 
because they were like, wait, you talk about that with your friends? You talk about that like in a room with people you're like colleagues with? Yes. Like, how are we better teachers if we don't talk about that? And we don't understand what our kids and our students and our people in our lives, what their experiences are. We don't have to be experts at everything. No one's going to be an expert at everything. But we can listen and understand and ask how that works for them or how that, like, what isn't working for them? And can we make that better somehow? But that's a really terrifying conversation for a whole lot of people. Hey, we have another question. Regina? Yes, I do. And I do want to give a little quick story. So what happened to me is my son came to me, and I have three boys and a girl, and I raised them all as a single parent for the most of their lives. So this is what they know, a blind mom. And they, my son came to me and said that he was having a conversation with a friend, and that friend said, you know, that Helen Keller didn't exist. And my son said, yes, she did. You know, it's the same social media post. And so they went back and forth. And this friend said, but there's no way because a blind and deaf person could not do the things she did. And my son said, oh, yes, they could. My mother is blind. And I know a lot of blind people. She has blind friends. She worked with some blind people and they're professional people and they hold all different, you know, jobs and they're independent. She raised us. And the friend said, well, now you're lying. So I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> I was shocked that this person would rather believe that his friend, my son, would lie about his mother than to understand how Helen Keller did what she did. So my question is, why does it seem that American society is threatened by disabled advocates like Helen Keller? And, that, and concentrate more on her advocacy. I, that's where this question is going. And who wants to go first? So people in American society right now are very attached to their, to their opinions. Well, they've forgotten a little, a little thing, and that is that you are entitled to your own opinions, but you are not entitled to your own facts. And <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think that, that most of our population could probably use a refresher course from back in elementary school. I don't know how many of you remember when we all had to read things and distinguish whether they were fact or opinion. Remember those? I do. But there is a Republican pollster named Frank Luntz, who he's been in, in politics for uh, at least, I, I would guess, about 40 or 50 years. I mean, the guy has been around forever. And he said one of the most profound things in an interview that I was uh, like lucky to, to produce. Um, he said, people don't seek to be informed. They seek to be affirmed. Mm -hmm. And so if you are not affirming somebody's little weird conspiracy theory, they're not going to want to talk to you. They don't, want, they don't want you to inform them. They want to, to have their opinion backed up. That's, that's where they're at. Thank you. Pam, Jennifer? Well, 
you know, as I as I think about people, and, and one of the things that I have to just be very direct and honest about, there's a real movement right now in this country to divide, to divide. It, it isn't the healthy kind of respect that we should be giving to each other. And the more divided we are, the more other things get into our minds and we don't think I, I just still feel that there are some people who are dealing in brain fog you, you know because they come up with things that really don't make sense and even people who know better they don't make sense but right now we've got a like almost a mob situation in our country where uh, you know people the, the whole entitlement and you know you've got more than me and I'm not getting with it you have and therefore I want the country back and da 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 and whatever I have to do to get it I'm going to do it so we are in a phase I, I I hope to be able to call it a phase but again it it requires of us to work harder this is Jennifer um, yeah, I think that's very true. I also think historically, and again, my job means I, I live in especially Bostonian history quite a lot. So there are days my, my work life is a third Boston gossip in the 1800s, um, which is great, but a little niche. Um, but I think about the fact that we keep having these arguments over and over again. So this argument about how do we educate children with disabilities has been going on since the founding of Perkins in 1829 and before that. Um, there's this whole discussion about how do we teach kids who gets to have an education? Um, how do people access that education? Um, and there's that whole rugged individualism thing that is prevalent in, in US history of like, you gotta do it yourself. It doesn't count if other people help you. Um, like it's not as good somehow. And that is obviously completely wrong um, and misguided. We all get help from people. We all help other people, hopefully. But this idea that, that everybody should start at the same place, end at the same place, somehow, that sounds boring to me also, but it's also been going for a very long time. And I, I, I keep seeing these cycles in, especially education history, about how we keep having the same arguments every 20 or 25 years. And if you if you look back in history, you can see the arguments about uh, in libraries about book labeling, about censorship issues, about which books should be on a public library shelf. And the focus changes every time it comes up. But the fact we're having an argument about it doesn't. We get a little bit better at it every time we do it, mostly. But it also seems to be a pattern that we have a real hard time breaking. Um, the way through it seems to be make education more available to more people at greater depth, but that requires resources uh, from local resources, from state resources, from national resources that aren't always there um, for whatever reason. Thank you for that perspective. And I guess that message to us then is it's our turn this time, right? <laughs> it's our turn to do this and let's hope you know, when you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. I don't know who right. said that. Oh, it's a famous right. quote. Yes. And even if I may, just there's that. But also, even if we must repeat it because other people are insisting that we do, knowing our history allows us to understand the cycle mm -hmm. and allows us to maybe influence the cycle. Okay. We would like to open this up.
All right, so I'm Marco. I'm one of your scholarship fellows. Um, I am a PhD student in literature, and I just have to say that I'm being alarmed because there are, <laughs> there are many books that I cannot teach anymore, and it is alarming. However, I, this is not a question, but more of a comment, um, and then I have a little question for the panel after my little comment here, but let's not wait for another Helen Keller or another Ray Charles to be canceled because they are already canceling disabled people. Um, because, uh, for example, when we talk about slavery, for instance, what do you think happens to people who are in the middle passage, who don't die because of the horrible conditions? They are disabled. Um, what do you think happens to all of those people in the, in, 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 the, in the plantations who are overworked or in the mines who don't die? They become disabled. And when those stories are canceled and not taught anymore, we are also canceling the disabled side of their story. Yes, they are people of color. And yes, they experience slavery and disability is also part of their story. And, and, and when we don't talk about these stories anymore, not only do we, don't we talk about slavery, we're, we're also not talking about disability and how they are interrelated. Um, and, and the question that, that I'd like to pose to the panel is, how do we keep on engaging in these conversations so that we don't stop? Because yes, it's important to speak up, but we are being prevented from speaking and talking about these, especially from uh, like a safe environment like our schools where we have our teachers. How do we keep on talking about this with, without necessarily getting into trouble, especially for a teacher like me? <laughs> um, I, I, I can't anymore. And uh, I'm an international student, so I'm speaking about this from an outsider's perspective, but I can imagine what it would be like for, you know, somebody in a middle school or in a high school somewhere in rural America where they can't really talk about it anymore. How can we keep on talking about this? Well, if I may, I do want to make one comment. Those of you that are parents know the best way to get your kid interested in something is tell them they can't do it. <laughs> So the one thing that I think could happen is to really publish that list of banned books and maybe the kids will go looking for them. <laughs> so, anyway, panelists, do you have any comments on these? Uh, this is Jennifer. Um, there are some options for getting access to materials. I think it's the Brooklyn Public Library has been making ebook access and I think also their audiobook access available to kids anywhere in the country um, with a simple registration. There's a bunch of library licensing things that make things complicated, but there are some resources out there. And so if you have kids or schools or people in your life, figuring out what those things are that might help and feel free to email me with specifics and I'm glad to help with that. And just sort of figure out what the options are for a specific circumstance. Like that's something you can do. Use the algorithm to like boost your points. Like can you maintain, and again, for teachers and, and public librarians and people like that, this is very complicated, but can you maintain a playlist of stuff you can point people to? Can you, you know, stick a thing up and say, I thought this was an interesting video with a neutral comment that maybe will get people looking at it or listening to it. Can you talk about a book that you read that touches on these things is not super controversial in and of itself, but is, is bringing the issue up that might open up some conversations. That's a lot of hard work. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's hard work. It's complicated. But it does make a difference in, like, the individual kids' lives who see adults talking about this occasionally. 
And it might not be your kids. It might be their friends or, you know, their cousins or their somebody that they're in school with and they happen to hit a thing that you posted on Facebook, you know, totally tangentially. You never know. I think that's my, my starting minute answer. Um, NACB, we are, for the most part, constantly doing calls and other things like that. And what is interesting is the um, MCAC, in, in my opinion, takes a very, uh, I think, a broad uh, spectrum when they look at this kind of thing. So it might not just be, it could be MCAC and another affiliate or something like that, or just a cause that's a topic call, something like that. There's a lot going on. And so, um, and the community calls are pretty liberal about what we can talk about. And I think every time we do a discussion like this, we get better at it. You know, and we start to believe and think in ourselves and things that we could do and should do and, uh, you know, should say, should speak up the resolution system. We have a lot right in the organization. And so and you won't get in too much trouble. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Thank you. Can I say something? I am not a parent, but I think that if you want your children to know, I think Mm -hmm. you should be the teacher. You should be the number one Mm -hmm. teacher. And, and the thing that I would say to all of you, whether you're a parent or not, if you believe that that all of our history should be taught, including the bad parts that make people uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and and you want to see uh, these books restored, then what we all have to do is find some time and join our local school boards. We've got to take it back from the crazy people. That's Good just point. all there is to it. We've got to go in there and say, nope, no more of this. We, I mean, we are responsible for our community and its maintenance, regardless of whether we have children or, or whether we don't. We have to maintain our community and, those, and the things that our community stands for, the things that we want our youngest community members to come into the community knowing. So it, it affects all of us. It doesn't just affect those with children. And we must take action and, and become school board members. Yeah. Thank you. Especially if you have a disability, they need to see us. Okay. Sarah, go ahead. I want to comment and I have a quick question. First of all, I have been affected by this cancel culture thing. I have been discriminated against because of my disabilities. I learned about 20 years ago that I do have a disability that actually causes multiple disabilities. I read about Helen Keller when I was a kid. I never thought I'd end up like her. And now my hearing is going. It's not completely gone, but I just told my doctor last week, I said, look, (laughs) I need Bluetooth hearing aids because I, just because I can't hear doesn't mean everybody else should hear my conversations whether they be confidential or not. And I have to advocate for myself because they'll advocate for me if I don't. And I'm learning a lot of things about me and there's a lot of tests that have to be done. And it's a lot harder because I'm an adult. And if somebody had tried to figure out that yes, um, I do have this disease when I was a kid, 
I wouldn't be going through a lot of this right now, but I did face a lot of discrimination growing up. And I also face it now because people do not understand my condition and people do not think that I can live independently. I'm proving them wrong and I'm proud to prove them wrong. But my question is to Tristan, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but that uh, that program, that story program, is that available for adults at a fee or is that just for kids? Because I'm interested. I'm very, very interested. Well, thank you for the question. Yes, it is available for anyone, including international parents or 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 adults or children. We don't, you know, we're all big kids in the production in the production of these things anyway. So uh, we all love them. I love them. Um, you can go if you can't get a DCMP membership. You can go to our website, which is imaginationstorybooks.org, and you can join our storybooks club. And that it gives you access to uh, all of the uh, the audiobooks, the videos with the with ASL and the Braille versions for deafblind. Also, we have made a deal with Bard, so a thousand of our books are. I I, I have been trying to to follow it, but it's not easy because <laughs> the category is not um, is not as clear. But um, but they have purchased a thousand of our books and they are, are putting them up on Bard. So, oh my, That's I'm one. sorry, I messed that up, you guys. My apologies. A hundred of our books. Okay. We don't have a thousand <laughs> books. If we had a thousand books, oh my goodness, I would be so busy right now. A <laughs> hundred books. Thank you. Oh, sorry. It's uh, imaginationstorybooks.org. All right. Storybooks with an S. <laughs> um. So, Regina, this is great. We've been emailing about this stuff. One of the things I think is that people are complex. So that when, they, when they make statements about Ray Charles, Helen Keller, whatever, people are complex. They don't understand. And a lot of times, people right now are not being taught critical thinking. But one resource I wanted to give to people is the Jewish Braille Institute and International. I asked them if they were banning any books. They told me that the, one of the books that is banned, Mouse, it's about a Holocaust uh, situation, is uh, they, they have it in Braille. So I think that we have to ask our providers of Braille, um, whatever those are, if they're banning these books, because that would be really terrible. And I think that at least uh, some places like what Jennifer was talking about are not going to ban these books. And I think it's very important that we don't. But, I, but, you know, and I knew that Helen Kelly was a socialist a long time ago, but also mm. uh, she was a product of her times. So I have also heard on various programs um, on PBS that she was also eugenicist and anti-Semitic. So I think people are complex and we have to really understand that people are a product of their times and we can still care about Helen Keller and she definitely did exist because she, I heard her speak when I was a child. And you know, I think this is ridiculous when we try to say, oh no, blind people don't exist, don't exist. Your mother wasn't blind and, and people just are not. Um, they're listening to the wrong people and the wrong sources. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I, I did some reading on that, Lynn, and, and she did um, favor eugenics when she was younger, but they banned her book. They actually burned it in Nazi Germany, and that seemed to be a turning point for her, and she changed her point of view. So, again, people are pretty complex, and um, 
that's something we need to recognize. Does anyone have, on the panel want to say something on this? Deanna? <laughs> what I think we all need to do is get ourselves whatever it takes into positions that can make decisions. Um, I ran for the board of trustees of the whole library system when I was in Oregon because <laughs> I needed to get a voice of a blind person on that board since they distributed the money and we're working on libraries without walls and a bunch of things that were important to me. Um, whether it's the school board, your local libraries, board of trustees, advisory committees are all good and well, but get on the ones that actually make the decisions because that's the best way you can you can push things forward because children need books people need books and just because you don't agree with what's written in that book doesn't give you the right to deny it to others so that's all i wanted to say thank you Deanna. thank you thank you okay i want to give you guys each a minute and i want to say probably a minute to go through real quickly because we have to give the yeah. education units wrap it well. up so yes. tristan you start Thank you. I just want to say it's been a great panel. My my colleagues on this panel are, are extraordinary people, and I'm, I'm thank you for your perspectives. And uh, for me, I'm just going to do what I can do, and I encourage all of you to do what you can do. Do not, above all, stay silent. Yes. Do not stay silent. Speak up. Speak out. Get your voices heard. Get yourselves into positions of power, in, in a position to change things. And, and make those changes and, and push for those changes and push until it gives. That's, yes. that's what I'm going to say. And I want to thank BPI for working with us on this and for Leah having you step in at the last minute. Thank you for being willing to do that. We appreciate it. Okay. Pam? Mm -hmm. I'm going to end where I began. If my brother or my sister is in trouble... So am I, because we, we don't want to say that, oh, that's just her, because we know that there is a movement underfoot, and so let's get together. Thank you again, MCAC. Thank you as well. <laughs> okay, Jennifer. This is Jennifer. Thank you again so much for giving me the opportunity to be here virtually. This panel has been fantastic. Um, if you have historical questions about blindness history, please email me. I am I am Hayes Library at Perkins.org for the, the library email address. H-A-Y-E-S-L-I-B-R-A-R-Y, library at Perkins, P-E-R-K-I-N-S dot org. And the other thing I'd say is if you're not up for huge activism, you don't want to run for school board or library boards, please do that if you can but just an email to them when they do things you like or when there's a controversy out there that you're concerned about gives tremendous feedback. And if you're supporting the thing that they're doing, gives them something to point to and say, look, our community needs this, our community wants this. And, and that's a pretty straightforward, doesn't need to be long, doesn't need to be complicated way to, to help get the word out and encourage you know, more programming, more books, more resources about the things that you care about. 
Okay, yes. thank you. Oh, do you want to give your website again, uh, Tristan, and also Pam, if you have a resource real quick? Um, it's imaginationstorybooks.org. Thank you. And Pam, do you have? Mine is real simple. It's just pick up the phone. <laughs> we'd like to say thank you for joining us thank you to my co-facilitator this was an awesome 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 discussion okay well i want to thank you lisa this has been a wonderful experience i know we always run out of time um we always seem to need more time to discuss our topics but <laughs> <laughs> this I mean, is a we must be doing something right so all right yeah. <laughs> so, so thank you guys for joining us and everybody enjoy the rest of your convention thank you so much to the multicultural affairs committee for allowing us to use that recording as an episode of pride connection now a little bit of housekeeping for transparency's sake we did have to remove some comments and questions to make the recording fit into the one hour slot that we are allotted by ACB Media One. However, if you would like to listen to the entire program, you can go to acbmedia.org, search for the podcasts section, and look for the 2023 ACB National Convention Archives. That recording was made on July 5th, 2023. Now, we have some sad and devastating news. For those of you who are unaware, our founding member, Rob Hill, passed away at the age of 79 on October 16th, 2023. Here is a message written by our president, Leah Gardner. ACB family. As we know, since the year 2000, Rob Hill's tireless commitment to establishing a special interest affiliate dedicated to the intersection of the LGBTQ community and the visually impaired within ACB resulted in the formation of what we now know as BPI. He was our first president and he built a foundation that remains strong and resilient to this day. Thank you to Rob Hill for all of your commitments to ACB. We will be producing a program on Pride Connection about Rob Hill and his life. But until then, please stay tuned to our website for more information. Our website is bpi.gay. That's bpi.gay. You have been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International. For more information, go to our website at bpi.gay. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection. The lovers, the dreamers, and me.
Join the hottest club for Friday night fun chat. Blind LGBT Pride hosts a clubhouse room every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Grab a drink, grab a snack, and settle in for a fabulous night of good company and great conversation. Just log on to Clubhouse and search for House Blind LGBT Pride. Not a member? No worries. Just come with a loving heart and an open mind and our bouncers will lift the velvet rope for you. Blind LGBT Pride Clubhouse Friday night fun chat. It's the only place to be for VIPs like you.